today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Here's what Hezekiah understood, and this is important for us to get as well. It was not simply enough to stop doing what was wrong. Okay, we're going to break down the idols, we're going to smash the sacred stones, we're going to deal with all that. That's good. It's not just enough to stop doing what was wrong. You have to start doing what's right. You see, when we just simply stop doing what is wrong, we create a vacuum. And those wrong things are going to want to rush back with a vengeance. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Kings. Isn't it wonderful when God frees you from the bondage of certain sins in your life? Praise the Lord, but don't let your guard down. Whenever you turn away from an area of sin, fill that void by replacing it with a righteous practice instead. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on the lessons we can learn from King Hezekiah's life. He not only cleansed the kingdom from idolatry, but he reinstituted proper worship in its place. So whatever area poses a temptation, turn it around into an opportunity to pursue righteousness. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message titled, Don't Be So Full of Yourself. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Kings chapter 18 as we continue in our Bible study straight through the Bible. We're in 2 Kings 18 on this round through. I'm going to read from the first eight verses. Hezekiah, Hezekiah the king of Judah. We're going to be taking a look at his life, learning about some things from him that he did well. One thing he didn't do so well we can also learn from. Here in chapter 18 verse 1 it says, In the third year of Hashia, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now that means his forefather David. He's of the line of David of the of uh, the, the tribe of Judah, but um, his father is King Ahaz. So this is in reference to his forefather, King David. And it says in verse 4 that he removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Nehushtan in Hebrew just means bronze thing. That's all it means. It says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza 
and its territory. The northern kingdom of Israel is pretty much gone now. It was absorbed into the Assyrian Empire when the Assyrians came and besieged the northern kingdom of Israel in 723 B.C. The southern kingdom of Judah still survives, at least for the time being. The southern kingdom has its own king, has its own capital. The capital city is Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. And the guy on the throne at this particular time, from chapters 18 through 20, is a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Now, in Hebrew, his name is pronounced Hezekiah, and it translates Yahweh, or God, is strength. So he has a strong name, and he's a strong leader. In fact, he's one of the few good kings of the entire kingdom period. There were only eight good kings, and all eight good kings came from the southern kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah is one of those good kings. But as I mentioned earlier in previous studies, he's one of the good kings, but he does have an asterisk by his name. Because he did a few good things, in fact, many good things well, but he did one thing in particular not so well. Now, the list of what he did well is long. In fact, you won't even be able to take notes because I'm going to throw up all the good things that he did for you. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. These are all phrases right out of Scripture. He removed the high places where idols were worshipped. He smashed the sacred stones, which were altars to idols. He cut down the Asherah poles, more idols. He broke into pieces the bronze snake that Moses made that Israel worshipped. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. He cleansed and reopened the temple. He sacrificed burnt offerings to the Lord. He reinstituted the celebration of Passover. He trusted the Lord. He worshipped the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. He did not cease to follow the Lord. And he kept the commands of the Lord. So he's a good guy. He's a good king. He did many things well. And as a result, God blessed him. The Bible says all of these points, that God was with him, that God gave him success in all he did, that God gave him great riches and honor, that God healed him of a deadly illness and extended his life for 15 years. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And God defended him in Judah against Assyrian aggression. So many things he did well, and for that reason, God blessed him and honored him. And among all the things that he did well, I'm going to just kind of narrow it down to three main points. Now you can take notes, so I'm going to go a little slower at this point. Uh, Here's what Hezekiah did right. One of the things that he was known for was being a man of principle. Hezekiah was a man of principle. Now his father, King Ahaz, was not. His father Ahaz was a wicked and unprincipled man. And as a result, when Hezekiah assumes the throne after his father dies, and Hezekiah now is 25 years of age, he has to undo a lot of the damage that his father brought upon the nation. And so some of the things that Hezekiah does are noteworthy. One thing, just kind of as a sub-point to being a man of principle, was that he brought reform. Hezekiah brought some sweeping reform. He aggressively destroyed the objects, relics, and idols of worship that competed for the heart of man in his or her devotion to God. So look again at verse 4 here of our text. It tells us that he removed the high places. Those were places where they would worship these false gods throughout the land. He smashed sacred stones. These were altars used to worship false gods. And he cut down Asherah poles. We've talked about this. Asherah was the female goddess of fertility that the Babylonians and Sidonians and the Canaanites worshipped. And so 
Asherah poles were basically phallic symbols. That's what they were. He smashed all these things. He removed them all. He cut it all down. All of this had to do with idolatry, the worship of lifeless objects and relics. I mean, very tragic when you think about how much of Israel's history is continually about idolatry. Now, Psalm 115, verses 4 to 8, says this about idolatry. Just listen to this. It says, But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Now, that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 115. Translation, if you worship dumb things, you'll become as dumb as the things you worship. That's what it's telling us. Now, does it strike you as it does me? I kind of scratch my head sometimes, and I look through the Old Testament, and I think, why would the Israelites carve things out of wood and chisel things out of stone and actually bow down and worship these things as if these objects could actually provide them help or salvation Why would they do such a thing? How dumb can they be? But actually, it is a commentary about the heart of man and the innate need we have to worship. You see, mankind was created in the image and likeness of God. We were hardwired by our Creator with the need, the innate need to connect and commune with Him. And what happens is, when we don't acknowledge His rightful place of sovereignty in our lives and worship Him and Him alone... We can end up then misdirecting our worship because we're hardwired to worship. Okay, I know this is bad grammar, but you can't not worship, all right? When we don't worship God in the rightful place that he has in our lives, we will misdirect it and start worshiping anything and anyone else. Idolatry in its basic definition is simply misplaced worship. And what was happening here with the Jews was that they weren't worshiping God at this time in their history. And so because there's this innate need... They have to worship. It's within all of us. So they misdirect it and they start worshiping these objects. It is foolishness. But it speaks to the fact that we're all hardwired with a need to worship, to commune with God. Now, one of the things among the idols that Hezekiah destroys is referenced here also in verse 4. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. Now, do you remember this story? For those of you who don't, here's the synopsis. In Numbers chapter 21, it tells us this story where the Israelites were on their way between Egypt and the promised land after God had freed them from 400 years of slavery. They're in the middle of the wilderness and they start griping. They start complaining. They complain about God. They complain about Moses, God's leader. They complain about the food. They complain about the water. I'm sure you've never complained about food or anything like that. Or why has God allowed this? Or why has God allowed that? But anyway, they're complaining. They're in the wilderness. And God sends venomous snakes as his judgment because of their whining and their complaining. Now, you know, nothing like a few venomous snakes to get the right perspective again. All right? You're like, I can't believe we're out here in the wilderness. And why would God allow this? And Moses, who do you think you are? And this food and it stinks. And oh, praise God. Hallelujah. You know, all of a sudden, you're going to get real serious with God when snakes start coming in the camp, and the snakes start biting people, and they're dying. And the Bible says that Moses then intercedes and prays for the people, and God says to Moses, I want you to fashion a snake out of bronze, melt some bronze down, fashion the snake, put it up on a staff. 
Now hear me on this because, by the way, the medical community, it's the insignia of the medical community, the snake on the staff. It is not traced back to Greek mythology. Greek mythology hijacked that story from this right here. Moses was told by God, fashion a snake, put it up on a staff, lift it up. And everyone who's bitten by this venomous snake can look to this and live. Now it's interesting, in the Bible, bronze is a metal that is indicative of judgment. God was saying, my judgment I will place upon this object, this bronze snake. And then here's the exercise. If you, he says to the people, will by faith look to this bronze snake on a staff, then you will live. By the way, Jesus makes comparison in John chapter 3 to that story in Numbers 21 about himself. And he says in John 3, it's around verse 13, 14, 15, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that all who believe in him would have eternal life. And he spoke of himself being lifted up on the cross. Listen to what God did. In the desert, he said, If you by faith will look to the judgment that was intended for you, that I've placed now in this picture, lifted up on a staff, you will live. In the same way, Jesus says, if you look to me, the judgment that has been placed upon Jesus intended for us, and as Jesus was lifted up on a cross, you look to Jesus, you'll be saved if you believe in him. Now, that's the scene from Numbers 21, but here's what has happened. Numbers 21 was 700 years before the story here in 2 Kings. Somebody took the bronze snake Moses made and for 700 years kept it in a shoebox in their closet. And then it's a low point in Israel's history. And they're like, you know what? We need to worship, but we're not going to worship God. Hey, I got that snake. It's in a box in my closet. And they pull it out and they start worshiping the snake. Oh, pretty snake. Oh, pretty snake. And they're burning incense to pretty snake. And Hezekiah comes along and goes, what are you guys doing here? Is that Moses' snake that he made? Why, yes, it is. Really? Why, you've had it in your closet for 700? Yes, it's been in my family for 700 years. Can I see it, please? Sure. Wow, this is incredible. Wow. And then he breaks it. Because he's like, you numbskulls, what are you doing? We have to worship the true and living God. So sweeping reform that comes into the nation. Now, what happens, though, in addition to sweeping reform, second sub-point here, he also brings revival. He brings revival. Here's what the Bible tells us. Second Chronicles 29 is also another commentary about Hezekiah's life and his reign. And in 2 Chronicles 29, it tells us that in the first month of Hezekiah's reign, he's 25 years old, first month of his reign, he does three things. He reopens the temple of God. He then recalls the priests and the Levites, and he reestablishes the sacrifices, the offerings, and the tithes. Now, why would he have to do that? Because his dad, King Ahaz, had nailed the temple doors shut. We don't need to go to the house of God. There's no reason to go to church. We don't need to do any of that. You know, we can find God anywhere. We can commune with God anywhere. You ever heard that one? You need to be in the fellowship, right? You need to worship the Lord. It's a good thing. It's nothing sacred about the building, but it's the place where believers come together and in unison they worship God and they learn together. It's a good thing. Ahaz had nailed the doors of the temple shut. Hezekiah's father said to the priest, might as well go home, eat some Twinkies. We don't need you anymore. We've closed up the church. And then he stopped all the sacrifices. Hezekiah says, no, 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 no. Dad didn't do right here. Opens up the temple. Recalls all the priests. Come back. Get cleansed. Get purified. You're on duty here. And then he also reestablishes the sacrifices and the offerings. And they begin to worship the Lord again. Here's what Hezekiah understood. And this is important for us to get as well. It was not simply enough to stop doing what was wrong. 
Okay, we're going to break down the idols. We're going to smash the sacred stones. We're going to deal with all that. That's good. It's not just enough to stop doing what was wrong. You have to start doing what's right. You see, when we just simply stop doing what is wrong, we create a vacuum. And those wrong things are going to want to rush back with a vengeance. So what we have to do is replace the wrong things with the right things. The absence of evil is not the guarantee of good. We have to pursue righteousness and we have to be intentional about it. So hear me on this. It's not enough just simply to stop looking at pornography. Start looking at the Bible. Start reading the Bible. Start putting your eyes somewhere else. It's not enough just to simply stop gossiping. That's good. Stop that. But start speaking well of people. It's not enough to just stop gambling. That's good. But start being generous with the money that God gave you. Replace those bad things with good things. Bring in, usher in, pursue righteousness. This is what Hezekiah realized. It's not enough just to stop all the bad stuff. We've got to bring in the right stuff. We've got to pursue righteousness. We've got to seek God. We've got to grow closer to Him. We've got to start to worship Him again. And Hezekiah learned something that I wish our own leaders of our own country would learn. He understood moral strength brings mighty nations strength. If you're moral, you're mighty. He opted for moral prowess more than he did military strength. He wanted the strength of a moral nation because he understood what Psalm 33 verse 12 says, that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. He understood what Proverbs 14 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. And he recognized that a moral nation is a mighty nation. And we've got to seek the Lord more than we do our own strength, because if we seek the Lord first, then he will be the strength of our lives and of our nation. And so he was a man of principle, and he ushered in reform and revival. But secondly, we see also in the Bible that he was a man of projects. This guy did some things well, and he did it with the strength of the Lord. In chapter 20, verse 20, if you'll take a glance with me into chapter 20, verse 20, in chapter 20, verse 20, it says, As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements, and how he made the pool, that's a reference to the pool of Siloam, and the tunnel, and that tunnel bears his name today, Hezekiah's tunnel, by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah was known for doing a few things, and the thing that he's most famous for is the tunnel that bears his name, Hezekiah's tunnel. Now here's why he did it. The fresh water source for the city of Jerusalem was outside the city walls, the spring of Gihon, just on the other side of the city walls. And what he wanted to do was to bring the water source into the city within the walls because if an enemy nation came to besiege Jerusalem, which they would, you want to have your fresh water supply within the city walls. And so what he did was he diverted the fresh water, the spring of Gihon, into the city. But here's how he had to do it. He had to hew out a long tunnel through solid bedrock. Now, when the Babylonians would come later and besiege the city of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., from 586 B.C. onward, we never knew where Hezekiah's tunnel was. We read about it in the Bible, but nobody knew where it was. 1838, it was discovered. And when they discovered it, they realized this was an amazing feat of brilliant engineer ability that still boggles the mind today. Because what Hezekiah ordered to be done was 
to, in order to divert the fresh water from the spring of Gihon into the city, they had to burrow under the wall through solid bedrock, divert the water, and then cover up the original source so that it would all come now into the city, into the pool of Siloam that he built. And in order to do this, they had to take pickaxes back in the day, pretty crude methods that they had, no modern tools that we have today. And they started at two opposite ends, 1,750 feet through solid bedrock with pickaxes. Workers made their way through until they connected in the middle. We still don't know how they met, but they did do something that was brilliant. And this had to be just by inspiration of the Lord. You know, if you start at two different ends, 1,750 feet apart, and you're 60 feet underground, and you're coming from two opposite ends, it's pretty hard to go in straight lines and to meet in the middle. Very easy to miss each other. What they did was they started at both ends, and they went slightly zigzag, so that by the time they would cross somewhere in the middle, the zigzag motion helped to bring them to bridge both ends together. 1,750 feet long, an average of two feet wide, six feet high. And water today still rushes through Hezekiah's tunnel. It's one of the places we visit on our time to Israel. In fact, some of you years ago were with me, 2008, on our trip through Hezekiah's tunnel, and we got stuck. We got stuck halfway in. Here's how it happened. Hezekiah's tunnel is something that tourists, I mean, you're constantly supposed to just be walking through straight. Normally, there's hundreds of people. You're just single file all the way through. Remember, average width, two feet. It's narrow. Six feet, okay? That's all. In some places, it's like four feet. You got to bend down as you're walking through. And so what happened is, as there's hundreds of people, now we're halfway in through the tunnel. We're 60 feet underground, solid bedrock. The group in front of us, God bless them. And there's a group behind us, all right? The group in front of us, God bless them. I don't know where they were from, but in their native tongue, they decided to stop and have a worship service. They stopped for a half an hour. A half an hour. And let me tell you, they didn't understand English either. They didn't understand English because we were like, move it, you know, and they, Jesus loves you, but move it. He can hear you worship as you walk. You know, they didn't hear any of that. So anyway, I'm convinced they were singing. I don't know the language, but I'm convinced they were singing. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. All right, already. I can't breathe any air. We're 60 feet under the ground. Let's move. And we had a group behind us, so we couldn't turn around. You can't even really shimmy enough to turn around. You're in one direction. We're stuck there a half an hour. People found Jesus in a big way. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Crying out to Jesus, man, people are getting saved. Anyway, Jesus loves you. Move it. Um, that was our experience. And listen, here we are 2,500 years later, and we're still talking about Hezekiah's tunnel. It was one of the projects he was known for. But thirdly, he was also known as a man of prayer. He was somebody who prayed, and there are a few recorded prayers of Hezekiah. One is found here in chapter 18. Let me draw your attention actually to chapter 19. What happens in chapter 18 is that Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians, this is a new king now of Assyria, he tries to do to the southern kingdom what his predecessor did to the northern kingdom. Sennacherib comes to besiege the city of Jerusalem. And on his way there, he lays waste many villages and cities on his way to Jerusalem and Hezekiah sees this and knows what is happening and Hezekiah does a very foolish thing. He thinks that he can pay off Sennacherib. What a fantastic time we've had studying Second Kings together today. 
Don't forget to join us next time as we continue to dig into the story of God working through history and nations to shape, discipline, and preserve His people, Israel. We at Cornerstone Connection would love the opportunity to serve you further as God writes your own story in His redemptive plan. We have companion resources for you on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, where Pastor Gary offers a deeper look into several of his studies to help you gain a better understanding of the Word. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us anywhere with the mobile app. Cornerstone Chapel is located in Leesburg, Virginia, and we'd love for you to join us for weekend services or our Wednesday night Bible study and fellowship time. Our Sunday services begin at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday nights begin at 7 p.m. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, feel free to call 703-771-1500. We continue to pray for you, that you would understand the greatness of God's love for you. We have loved our time together today and invite you to join us again for the next edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go. But still you know